Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen. We've been talking about genuine faith. This is lesson number seven. And I just encourage you, if you didn't get especially the first one that, that really shares with us how important faith is to the life of every child of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. You can't be saved without it. You can't fight the enemy without it, resisting your faith. We can't overcome the world. The Bible says overcome the world with your faith. This is the victory. So we've been talking about the fact that faith, genuine faith, is not imitating someone else's faith. It's not presumption. It's not baseless faith. There has to be a foundation for our faith. Then we also talked about the fact that genuine faith is based on either the written or the spoken word of God. The written is the logos. The spoken is the rhema. Two different words in the Greek for word, the word word. It's the word of God, the logos, the word of God, the rhema. Either it's written or it's spoken. Of course, today's society would be a text message or a phone call. Put it that way. What's written? The logos. What's spoken? The rhema. And then we talked about how Satan is really the ruler of this world that we live in. People that say God's got everything under control are not right. First John 5, 7, 5 verse 19 says in the NIV portion of the Bible, it says this whole world is under the control of the evil one. If God was in control of this world, it'd be a whole lot better off. <laughs> Would you agree with me on that one? Absolutely. There wouldn't be no Republicans or Democrats at all there be Christians <laughs> amen believers all right so we showed how Jesus used the it is written logos to do what resist the devil when he was tempted remember that last week and then the rhema the spoken word when Peter got out of the boat he got out of the boat based on a rhema he spoke come and Peter came and the reason why we emphasize this is because when he got out of the boat, even though he had a spoken word of God, it doesn't mean it will automatically come to pass. He began to walk on the water, and the moment he began to walk on that spoken word come, what happened? He got distracted. The enemy will distract us to get us out of faith so that we can begin to sink and that our miracle is not consummated. It maybe it began, but it's not consummated. And so we want to get disciplined in our faith, in our faith walk, so we can walk on the water all the way there and all the way back and have our faith consummated and produce a result, regardless of what it is that you're believing God for. As we continue our study, we're going to go to James chapter 2, verse 19. Genuine faith acts upon the Word of God. Genuine faith acts upon the Word of God. And this is from God's Word's translation of the Bible. You believe that there is one God? That's fine. You're doing well. The demons also believe that and they tremble with fear. Notice what he says, you fool. Do you have to have to be shown that faith which does nothing is useless? Didn't our ancestor Abraham receive God's approval as a result of what he did when he offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice on the altar? You see that Abraham's faith and what he did work together. His faith was shown to be genuine Notice, by what he did. The scripture passage came true. It says, Abraham believed God, and that faith was regarded as the basis of Abraham's approval by God. So Abraham was called God's friend. 
you see that a person receives God's approval because of what he does, not only because of what he believes. Now notice this, a shift here. The same is true of the prostitute Rahab, who welcomed the spies and sent them away on another road. She received God's approval because of what she did. A body that doesn't breathe is dead. In the same way, faith that does nothing is dead. Now, in these verses of Scripture, we see that genuine faith has to have corresponding actions. Look at verse 22 and 26 in the Amplified Bible to give us a little bit more understanding. You see that his faith was cooperating with his works and his faith was completed and reached its supreme expression when he implemented it by good works. And then verse 26. For as the human body apart from the spirit is lifeless, so faith apart from its works of obedience is also dead. So what's he trying to explain to us? Everybody that's been to a funeral, you know that when a body doesn't have a spirit or a soul in it, it's lifeless. It can't do anything. Or go back to the beginning when he made man in the very beginning and he made his body from the dust of the earth, but there was no life to it. There's no expression to it whatsoever. Faith is still faith, but it could be lifeless. It could be dead, inoperative, inactive, doing nothing. We have faith, but it takes works corresponding with our faith to get results is what he's trying to say. And what is he using? A patriarch and a prostitute to make his point. There could have been other people in the Bible he could have used other than a prostitute, wouldn't you say? But what does he do? He shows us it doesn't matter whether you're a patriarch or a prostitute. We can all reach God. Everybody can have faith in God. and God can change a life no matter who you are. Isn't that wonderful to know? All right. So before we look at the patriarch and the prostitute, let's take a look at the leper first. Is that okay with you? Now, in 2 Kings chapter 5, to show us how faith works, to give us a better understanding of faith and its operation, we're going to point out what took place in the life of Naaman the leper. Naaman was a leper. He was second in command, command over all the armies of the Syrian army. And he heard some things about how he can get healed. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elijah sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, or angry, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? He rationalized. So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, Wash and be, thou, and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a child, and he was clean. All right, number one. Naaman heard the spoken word of God. He didn't hear it directly from the maid, but indirectly. It came to him. And when he heard that word, imagine this. He's a leper. He never heard a word like that ever before. You could be cleansed from your leprosy. That's an impossibility. Period. And when he heard that, he was excited. Would you be excited? 
He was thrilled. He was so thrilled and so moved by the words he heard. Do you know the Bible says in the book of Acts that when Cornelius was, Peter was sent to Cornelius' house, he said to him, Peter will tell you words whereby you can be healed. Words whereby you can be saved. Words whereby you can be delivered. The man named had never heard these words before. So what does he do? He gets himself to go and see the prophet. Was he excited? Well, let me just clue you in. In my study, I discovered that when he went there, the Bible says, if you read it in 2 Kings chapter 5, he took with him 6,000 pieces of gold, so many talents of silver, and 10 changes of clothes. You know what that amounts to in our money today? Look at the studies. Anywhere between $1 and $2.3 million. Would you say he was interested? Now, he was angry. Why was he angry? Because when he got to the house of the prophet with one to two point three million dollars, the prophet didn't even come out of his house. He sent out his servant and his servant told him what to do. And when he heard that, it was beneath his dignity, number one. Number two, if you were bringing a gift between one and two point three million dollars, would you want to see the person that you're giving it to? I would think he probably would. But guess what? He didn't. He was so angry. Then he began to rationalize. Are you kidding me? You want me to go and dip in that muddy river? Are you serious? I'm a man with, of great importance. Captain of the host of the army. And you want me to do that? We got better rivers where I come from. I thought I would come here and he would come out and meet me. We know men of distinction. And then he'd pray over me and he had an old picture in his mind as to how it would take place. But he was irate and turned and walked away. So did he receive a rhema? He sure did, didn't he? Go dip seven times in a river and you'll come out with no leprosy. It wouldn't matter to me how many millions of dollars. Leprosy is incurable. All I have to do is go dip seven times. Give me the river. Give me the mud. I'm in it. Are you in it? Absolutely. But notice he had the word. He had the rhema. And why is this important to know? You can have the word of God and not act on it. You can have the word of God and not believe in it. You can have the word of God and be so distracted by things in us that we could walk away from it like he did. But a servant came along and convinced him. Aren't you glad that God let you change your mind? Give you another chance. He changed his mind, didn't he? He changed his mind. He went back down. He dipped in the water. And what happened? He came out. And again, I'm not going to belabor this. But what happened to him was complete surrender. What happened to him was, you see, when he took off the layers of pride, he took off his coat with all the markings of all the accomplishments and achievements that he had. He had to take that off to dip into water. Then to dip in the water seven times. And every time he came up out of the water, another layer of pride was removed. Another layer of pride was removed. He got to the place of complete surrender. And when he completely surrendered himself to God and got rid of all of his pride, he came up clean. Amen. Now let's look at the patriarch uh, Abraham. Look at Genesis chapter 7 or chapter 17 and verse 19. Abraham received a rhema from God. 
His faith would be based on a spoken word that God gave to him. God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. Boy, does that really help you with naming your child? Don't have to look up all these books, go online and find out what's, what's the most popular name today for your child. Does it really matter? His name's Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. Notice the detailed words that God speaks to Abraham. Your wife, Sarah, is going to ha have a child. His name's going to be called Isaac. And my covenant will be with you and with him and his seed after him. He will have children, is what he said. All right. Number two, Abraham received another rhema from God. Look at Genesis 22 and 2. Another rhema. He said, take now thy son, now notice this, thine only son. Did you ever read that and wonder what about Ishmael? Hmm? Ever think about that? In the mind of God, he has only one son. And that son was through Sarah. His name was Isaac. Even though he had another son named Ishmael through Hagar, that was a work of the flesh, not a work of the spirit. Can you see that? So when God says to him, your only son, thy only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. So he had a rhema to offer his son up on this mountain, Mount Moriah, in a place where God would show him. Now he's got two rhemas, doesn't he? You're going to have a son who's going to have children, but you're going to kill him before he does. Wow. Look at the next thing. Beginning at verse uh, 3. Abraham acts on the word of God. Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes. Notice it's the third day. And saw the place afar off, and Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and he'll be dead. No, and we'll come back to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? He knew about burnt offerings. Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Notice, he will provide and they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. And bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called out unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For I know that thou fearest God. Now I know that thou fearest God. Seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. 
And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. Notice Jehovah-Jireh is a name of a place. Yes, it's the name of God, our provider, but it's the name of a place. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. So he acted out in obedience and did what God said to do. And God said, now I know I can trust you and that you believe in me. Because you did not withhold your only son. And we're not going in that direction, but Isaac is a type of Christ being offered up and raised up on the third day, etc. And there are many similarities there, even where he was sacrificed on Mount Moriah, which is where Christ was also crucified on Mount Moriah in that place. But anyhow, the point is this. Abraham was told two things, two rhemas. Your wife will bear thee a son, and his name is Isaac, and she'll have, he'll have children. And my covenant will be with him and his children. But then he said, go and offer him up as a sacrifice. Kill him, take his life before he has any children. Abraham goes and does exactly what God says to do based on the rhema, based on the spoken word that God gave him. And he offers him up. And of course, God stops the whole process and says, now I know that you tr I can trust you and that you trust me. The place Jehovah Jireh is important because this is the place where we meet with God and God meets with us. Jehovah Jireh is a place of surrender. It's a place of obedience. It's a place of complete consecration and dedication. That's called Jehovah Jireh, where a person completely abandons himself to God and says, I exclusively trust you to the degree that I will offer up my son to you, as you said. These are the actions of Abraham that James pointed to and said, this is faith. His actions perfected his faith. Abraham displayed perfect faith. Not little faith. Not even great faith, but perfect faith. And how? Look at Genesis. Uh, I'm sorry. Look in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 11. Because we have an explanation of what took place. And how he got to the place of believing that God had to do his part. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried or proven, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, again, a type of Christ, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. So now we see, because of the New Testament, what was going through Abraham's mind during that time when he was giving those two rhemas from God. You're going to have a son. His name is Isaac. He'll have children. Offer him up as a sacrifice, as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah at a place where I will tell you. And so in Hebrews, we are told he considered both statements back and forth. And through meditation, he concluded that even though he never saw anyone raised from the dead, he received him raised from the dead in a figure. 
His faith, in other words, in God was so perfect that he knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that God had to raise him from the dead. That's the only way that God can be a God of integrity and a righteous God. Now think about going through a situation like that, if that were you. But that we see, according to James, is what perfected his faith. That he didn't just say, I believe, he carried out the actions of faith. His actions corresponded with his faith. I believe God to such a degree that it has to be this way, and so he followed through with it. Now, it's hard to imagine anybody being in that position, but that's exactly what he believed. Then you go to the book of Romans, and you see the same thing here. It gives us an explanation, once again, of his faith. He, being not weak in faith, considered not his own body, now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God. And what was the promise? You would have a son, his name would be Isaac, and he would have children, and my covenant would be with you and him and his seed after him. So he was not staggering at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he promised, he was able also to perform, not just in the birth of Isaac, but in the resurrection of Isaac from the dead. That's why he's called the father of us all, the father of our faith. Imagine being in the shoes that he was in at that time and doing what he was told to do. The point being, he believed God, he believed in his integrity, and he didn't put God in a box. God put himself in that box, if you will, when he made those two statements to him. But his faith was based on a spoken word of God that Abraham believed and then followed through. He carried out his belief. Now think about that as you begin to walk with him through this journey. How would you feel? What would you think? How would you react? We better be sure. We better know for a fact. This, this is not imitation faith. This is not presumption. This is not baseless. My son's life is at stake. I've got to do what I know God said to do. And I've got to believe in the integrity of God enough to follow through with it so that he can do his part. Like walking on the water. We want to get all the way there and all the way back. He said, we're going to go worship and we're coming back. Was he not pointed when he said that? Didn't he believe it when he said that? Did he also believe he was going to kill him when he went up there? He sure did. And he believed that God would have to raise him up and bring him back down. Now that's perfect faith. That's perfect faith. Look at the next one, the patriarch. I mean the prostitute. The prostitute... Going back to James 2. I'm thinking why in the world does he pull her out. And have her to be a standout. Even in the hall of faith. In Hebrews 11. And why does James use it also. And I do once again believe this. It doesn't matter whether you're a patriarch or a prostitute. God can take your life. God can turn your life around. God can lift you up. You believe in God and God will take you places you've never seen before. You've never known before. You never understand about and he'll do that. doesn't matter what your lifestyle is. No matter what your social status is. No matter where you come from. 
there's something about believing God that moves him from heaven into a soul of a person to change their life forever. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. James says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. This woman also received a rhema, which we'll get to in just a moment. But James again is using this to make his point to teach us that genuine faith has got to have corresponding actions. I can't say I believe because he said the devils say they believe and what do they do? They tremble. If I say I believe that I'm going to carry out my faith. I'm going to act as if I truly believe it. In other words, I'm going to get in the wheelbarrow. Praise God and let somebody push me across the tightrope. Because I believe it has to be only one way. If God said it, you will go to the other side and you will come back. If God said it. Can you see that? That is true faith. That is perfect faith. We need to know. Okay, let's look at her. In the book of Joshua chapter 2, Rahab the harlot heard about Jehovah. Joshua chapter 2 verse 8. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. This is the two spies went to spy out the land. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord, I know, don't let that run by you. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us. And all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. How would you like to have that in your resume? For we have heard, how's faith come? We heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. And you know, there's a lot of skeptics that are out there that don't like this. They don't like this because it verifies the fact that he did dry up the Red Sea. And they can't explain it. When you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sion, and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. So what she heard was... That God brought them out with great power, signs and wonders. And that his terror fell upon all of them. They were afraid of God. So she heard about the parting of the Red Sea. Now imagine if you saw that miracle. It's bona fide. It's verified. It was also communicated to her down through the years. It happened. Okay, look at number two. Rahab believed Jehovah to be the God of heaven and earth. Look at the Joshua 2 and verse 11. As soon as we had heard these things, as soon as we had heard these things, as soon as we had heard these things, what are we listening to today? As soon as we heard this, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, what did she believe? Is God in heaven above and in earth beneath? Isn't it something that a prostitute believed in the God of the Israelites more than the Israelites themselves? Think that one through. He's God in heaven above and in earth beneath. That's what she believed. Well, 
She asked for mercy. Look at 12 and 13. Believing this, she appeals to them and intercedes for her family. Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord. Swear unto me by your Lord. We may not take swearing, you know, like we should today. People take it lightly. But back then, you give me your word, it meant something. Swear to me by the Lord. Since I have showed you kindness, that you will show, also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. And that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. She intercedes not just for herself, her immediate family, but all her extended family, anyone there Anyone there at all that was a part of her family, she interceded for and wanted them to swear, give an oath that my family will not die. That's what she asked. Look at verses 17 through 20. She receives a rhema. Here's her rhema. Again, the importance of whether it's logos or whether it's rhema, faith, genuine faith has to have a foundation. We need to hear what God said or read what God said and believe in what God said. But notice this. And the men said unto her, we will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. And why did they have to take her up on it? Because if she turned them in, they're dead. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, and if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then will we be quit of thine oath which thou hast made us to swear so there it is she receives the rhema she's to keep quiet about their being there she's to tie the rope or the scarlet rope or the scarlet thread bind it upon the window of her house and to instruct all her family to be in her house all of them how would you like that who's coming over everyone Anyone related to me is coming over today. Think about that. That's the rhema that she was given. Those are the instructions that she is given. So what does she do? Uh, look at verse 21. She acts out her faith. Chapter 2, verse 21. She said, according unto your word, so be it. And she, went, she sent them away and they departed. And she bound the scarlet line in the window. She did exactly what she was told to do. She acted out her faith. She did not tell on them. She bound the scarlet rope or thread in her window. You know what that represents, don't you? The blood of the lamb. Okay. So she did exactly what she told to do. And then the third thing is the family had to be in the house. Now, you, th you might think this is an easy thing. <laughs> you don't know her family. You don't know Rahab's family. Okay. Imagine this. The day comes when the Israelites 
take their first walk around Jericho's walls. Everybody's scurrying about in the streets. What's going on? What's the ruckus? The Israelites are caravanning around our city walls. Let me go see. Let me go see. And Rahab says, uh-uh, no, no, no. Let them go see. Everybody in my house, cousins, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, young and old, come on in, grandma, grandpa, get into my house. Everybody in my house. Why? Remember what they said? Get in my house. They walk around the one time, nothing happens. The next day, same thing happens. Everybody's in the house. Then they're gone. Everybody goes back to their business. The third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. By the sixth day, it's like, come on, Aunt Rahab, really? We've been doing this like six days in a row. This is the seventh day. I mean, we're squeezing in here. I mean, we can't even breathe in this house. Are you kidding me? You know? I'm sure there's a little bit of frustration. Everybody else is up on top looking at all these people throwing down snow cones on top of them. You know, and, and mocking them and laughing at them and thinking that they could, what, what are they doing down there? No, but they got to all get together and be in one house. And she said, listen to me. They told me not to tell on them and I didn't. They told me to bind this red thread that you see here. And they told me anyone out of the house Gets killed, it's your fault, not theirs. You want to live, stay in the house under the protection of the blood if you want to live. That was the instruction. So, stay here. All of a sudden, after they make the first passage around, oh, it's still quiet out there. What's going on? This is longer than usual. Second one, third one, fourth one. Fifth one, sit tight. Sixth one, seventh one. And the walls come tumbling down. And you know the story. But then they were protected. Because they acted on the word that was spoken. They did what they were instructed to do. And had one step out, they were dead. Another stepped out, they're dead. Someone would say, why God let them die? God didn't let them die. God told them what to do. They didn't act on what God said to do. So now let's look at the scriptures here. Look at uh, chapter 6, verse 17. And the city shall be accursed, even it, and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab, this massive city, these massive walls, these people, so proud of who they are and what they built, their city, their achievements. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. Is our faith important? She and all that are with her in the house because she hid the messengers that we sent. Go on down to verse 22. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath as ye swear unto her. 
And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Now, let's consider this. This is a prostitute who runs a brothel for her livelihood, who I'm sure didn't please God. But when she found herself in a situation that she can either continue in what she was doing or she can follow the way of the Lord, she made a decision that she was going to act on the behalf of her family and start believing God. She already believed that God was the God of heaven and earth. That he's a mighty God, a powerful God, who brought them out of Egypt, who parted the Red Sea, who made provision for all that they needed, who cared for them, loved them, protected them. She knew that all her people were afraid of this great God, this mighty God. She knew that. But now she had to make a decision. Would she die being faithful to her own people there in Jericho by turning them in? Or would she side with God now above all and everything else? Even if a family member said, I'm not going with you, I'm not going to be in your house, I don't believe in all that stuff, that God stuff. Are you kidding me? Who do you, well, you're crazy, you're out of your mind. These walls are going to come down by what? Those people down there? They can't even walk straight. Kidding me? Well, they're going to blow their horns and what? The walls are going to come down? They're going to shout and the wall's going to come down. She said, I'm telling you right now, he's the God of heaven. He's the God of earth. There is no God. He is the only God, the true God, the mighty God. You want to see God manifest himself? Believe God. She believed God. And because she believed God, you know, before they burnt the city wall, before they burnt everything, you realize that the walls had to come down first. They couldn't get in to do that. So the walls came down, and when the walls came down, Joshua said, go in there and get Rahab and her family out so we can burn the rest. I'm going to read this to you. Let me make a quick change here first. You ready for it? It was not until a British archaeologist named Kathleen Kenyon re-excavated the site with modern methods in the 1950s that it was understood what these piles of bricks were. She determined that they were this, from the city wall, which had collapsed when the city was destroyed. The biblical record goes on to say that when the walls collapsed, the Israelites stormed the city and set it on fire. Archaeologists found evidence for a massive destruction by fire, just as the Bible relates. Kenyon wrote in her excavation report, the destruction was complete. Walls and floors were blackened or reddened by fire. Every room was filled with fallen bricks, timbers, and household utensils. In most rooms, the fallen debris was heavily burnt. What caused the strong walls of Jericho to collapse? 
The most likely explanation is an earthquake, but the nature of the earthquake was unusual. It struck in such a way as to allow a portion of the city wall on the north side of the site to remain standing, while everywhere else the wall fell. Rahab's house was evidently located on the north side of the city. She was the Canaanite prostitute who hid the Israelite spies who came to spy out the city. The Bible states that her house was built against the city wall. Before returning to the Israelite camp, the spies told Rahab to bring her family into the house and they would be saved. According to the Bible, Rahab's house was miraculously spared while the rest of the city wall fell. This is exactly what archaeologists found. The preserved city wall on the north side of the city had houses built against it. The timing of the earthquake and the manner in which it selectively took down the city wall suggests something other than a natural calamity. A divine force was at work. In the New Testament, we read, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. After the people had marched around them for seven days, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So imagine that this God of the universe, the creator of all things, who's defending his people, here's this woman's faith. And he comes up with a specific earthquake that will bring down everything except her house. Because she said, my house will be under the blood. Oh, somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. I believe, God, we're staying under the blood. We're not going to mosey out with curiosity and find out what's going on. We're staying safe. We're staying secure. We're under the blood. We believe God. It shall be as God has spoken, as God has said. Pray. That is genuine faith. Hallelujah. Well, that brings us to my last point. What about our faith? Look at Proverbs chapter 4. Genuine faith has to have a foundation. Genuine faith has to hear from God. Okay? Are we getting this point? You can't imitate someone else's faith. I'm going to do what she did. You can't do that. I'm going to do what Naaman did. You can't do that. No, this is called a personal walk with God, right? My son, attend to my what? My what? How valuable is the word? How important is the word? Be it spoken or be it written. Attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from before your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep the heart with all diligence because out of it are the issues of life. So here he is saying, God speaking to us is absolutely critical. Either he's speaking to me through his word, which is why we need to be in the word. Or by his spirit. And to be honest with you, the more we're in the word, the more he'll speak by his spirit. If we really take serious the word of God. Because that's his instruction to us. That's where he spoke many, many, many words to us. And if we'll begin to bank our lives upon that word that's been written, then in specific times that we need to hear his voice, he'll tell us certain things. Number one is what? Attend to my words. How? 
Number one, by inclining thine ear to my sayings. Listen to what I'm saying. Are you listening this morning? Are we listening this morning? What is he saying to me today? In this whole message, what are you saying to me, Lord, about my situation? Am I in a Rahab situation where I need to be under the blood for protection? Do I need healed like a Naaman? Do I need divine intervention in any other way? What have you got to say about my situation? I want to hear from you, be it written or be it spoken. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ears. Listen. A parent would say, son, listen to what I'm telling you. Secondly, let him not depart from before your eyes. What does that mean? Think about what I'm saying. Think about my words. Like Abraham did, he had to really think about it. He had to meditate it. He had to think it through, all the way through. He heard those two different rhemas, and he had to really consider both of them and then conclude something. Okay, I'm listening to it. I'm thinking about it. You tell your son, you tell your daughter, think about what I'm saying. Go up into your room. Spend a little time up there, alone time with God, and think about what I'm telling you. I've been down that path before. I walked that road before. I'm telling you something that's important to you. Think about it. Right? So listen. Think about. Ne- next part, so important. Believe. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Believe what I'm saying. Can you imagine Rahab in that room with all those teenagers? The baby screaming over here. Teenagers over there, they want to go up on a wall, see what's going on. And she's standing there saying, uh-uh. Listen to what I'm saying to you. Read my lips. Think about what I'm saying to you. I've been down the road before. I know what I'm talking about. Believe me when I tell you he's the God of heaven and earth. You better believe what I'm saying. You walk out that door, you die. It's not on me, it's on you. Believe what I'm saying from your heart. And then finally, do what he tells us to do. Act upon the word. Let's close with this text in Luke chapter 6. Oh my. You talk about profound words coming from our Lord. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Did you hear that? Wow. Why call me Lord? Yeah, he's the Lord of my life. And do not what I say. Do you know what he means by that, don't you? See, we, we read that in our Western mentality, not an Eastern understanding of it. If your Lord is a king and he tells you to do something and you say, ah, think about it. You're decapitated. You don't rebel against the word of a king. Well, the word of a king is there's power. You rebel against the king, your life is at stake. So he says, why call me your Lord if you're not going to do what I say? Then he talks about this. Whosoever cometh to me and hears my sayings and does them, I'll show you to whom he is like. He's like a wise man which dig deep, laid his foundation upon a rock, and when the flood arose, the stream beat him upon the house, could not shake it. It was found upon a rock. But, the one who didn't, who hears and doesn't act, he's a foolish man. And when the storm comes and beats against that house, what happens? It crumbles. So what is he saying to us this morning? 
my word is to be listened to, thought about, believed, and acted upon. Just like Abraham did. Just like Naaman did. Just like Rahab did. And Rahab's family did. And the results off the charts. Off the charts. Come on up here. People want reality with God. Beloved, it's time for reality. It's time for reality. Let's stand together before the Lord.